Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. All right, we're moving on. Chapter 5. First Peter, chapter 5. The question I have this morning, which I know that if I asked you to raise your hand, about 99% of you would raise your hand. But are you a worrier? Are you a worrier? And like I said, if you are, you are certainly not alone. A recent study found that 93% of Americans say that they are worriers. And for a many, many, many different kinds of reasons. According to that survey, the average adult spent one hour and 50 minutes, five zero minutes a day, worrying which adds up to nearly 28 days a year. Now, I couldn't find any other similar studies that were done elsewhere, but I can't imagine that it would be any different there as it is here. That seems to be evidenced by the fact that 40 million adults in this country are affected by anxiety disorders. And over $42 billion is spent every year treating those people. But for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, being a worrier is a problem. Would you agree? It's a problem. Louis Giglio, who are, some of you are very familiar with, but he is a pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, summarizes why in a most recent text, that actually a tweet that he sent out. He says, worry and worship cannot exist in the same place. Worry and worship cannot exist in the same place. One always displaces the other. One always displaces the other. God wants his followers to put on servant-hearted humility, as Peter says in verse 5 in chapter 5. Be clothed with humility. The original word for be clothed with is an unusual word in the Bible. And this is the only place where it can be found. The word picture is to tie a knot, but not just any knot. Slaves in that day wore aprons when they went out to work for their master. And those aprons were tied with a knot. And this is the kind of knot that God is talking about here. God used this word picture to help us put on servant-hearted humility. A.T. Robertson tells us that as Peter wrote those words, he may have been thinking back to the night before Jesus died on the cross. The Lord wrapped himself in a servant's towel and began to wash his disciples' feet. That's the humble attitude God wants us to have. God wants us to live in Christian 
victory. So how do we do that? We have to humble our hearts. And although he didn't word it the same way, I think that this is the message Peter has for us and his readers. He wraps up the letter we've been studying for the past three or four weeks. And in many ways, the Christians of Peter's day faced a culture that was a lot like ours and the way that it treated those who live boldly for Jesus Christ. I believe there's a lot of similarities. So there was a lot to legitimately worry about. Would you agree? There are things that we feel that are legitimately worth our worry. His letter to those believers to let them know that they could triumph in their trials if they would replace their worry with worship. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How do we replace our worry with worship? Worshiping our God. So let's read what Peter has to say about that. And though I won't have the proper time to comment on the entire chapter in detail this morning, I'm going to read all of chapter 5 though this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5 starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother... As I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you 
who are in Christ. Before the resurrection, Peter was a big worrier. He was a big worrier, and he worried about drowning when he got out of the boat and tried to walk on the water, even though Jesus was right there with him. He worried about Jesus being crucified and tried to tell Jesus not to go to the cross. He was so worried about what was going to happen to Jesus in that garden that day and tried to take on the battalion of Roman soldiers. He was a big warrior. But here he is about 30 years later and he was he has obviously learned to deal with his anxiety in a God-honoring way and he shares what he has learned about that as he closes his letter. Peter leaves us with this final thought. We can triumph in our trials if we replace our worry with worship. And in the dictionary that I currently have on my desk, there are only three words between worry and worship. There are only three words between worry and worship. But in real life, those two concepts are certainly much further apart. Would you agree with that? So how do we make that leap from worry to worship? How do we do that? Well, let's see how Peter helps us answer that question. Now, there are a number of commands in this passage, but the two that I want us to focus on this morning are right in the middle of the passage and are at the heart of what Peter wants to communicate here, starting in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Now, this command deals with exercising humility towards one another. And I'm going to come back to that idea a little bit later. But the second command is found in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And this command deals with humility towards God... And it is going to be our main focus this morning. How do we humble ourselves before God? We first need to note that the words that Peter writes between these two commands. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter cites Proverbs 3.34 in much the same way that James also uses it in his letter to remind his readers that God values humility. And with that in mind, we can take a more detailed look at verses 6 and 7, since they are at the heart at Peter's teachings here. This is what he wants his readers to know. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, many of you are probably familiar with these verses, especially verse 7. And perhaps there are some of you here like me who have even memorized verse 7. 
The problem with that, at least in my case, is that I memorized that verse in the NIV translation, which puts a period at the end of verse 6 and begins verse 7 with a new command. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And like I said, the problem with that translation is that it is the underlying Greek here. Verse 7 is not a new sentence, but rather the continuation of the sentence that begins in verse 6. The other issue is that the verb cast is not a command, but rather a participle. So casting, and that is connected to the command in verse 6. Humble yourselves. So the idea here is that we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand by casting all our anxieties on him. That means that it is not appropriate to take verse 7 and use it alone without connecting it to verse 6. Now at this point, many of you may be thinking that you can see the idea of worry here when Peter writes about casting our anxieties on God. But what you really don't see anything about here is worship. We don't see anything about worship. But I would suggest to you that even though Peter doesn't use the word worship here, the concept is found throughout this passage. There are a lot of good definitions of worship. But my favorite has always been the one developed by the man I talked about earlier, Louis Giglio. He says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. I like that because it provides an action behind it. It requires us to do something other than give lip service. Anyone can claim to be something, but isn't it more exceptional when you see the person actually living what they say? That's what Peter is saying here. He says, we're given instruction. We're given the ability to follow God's word. But where's the action behind it? What are you doing to proclaim the truth? And given that definition, we begin to see how the concept of worship is found here in this passage. And we'll see that in a moment. You see, Peter spends a lot of time writing about who God is and what he has done here in this passage. And then he gives us a number of commands to guide our response to that revelation of God. He gives us the information and then he tells us how to react to it, how to respond to it. So with our remaining time this morning, we need to see what we can learn about how to replace our worry with worship. First, we need to do this. We need to let God carry the load. We need to let God carry the load. And this is the idea that Peter communicates with the word casting. Before doing some further study, 
I assumed that word had something to do with fishing. Because that's where I go to right away when I think of the word casting. Right? I think of fishing. Especially given Peter's background. But in reality, the word has a completely different meaning. And that word is used only in one other place in the Bible where it is translated throwing. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Luke 19, 35. You see, this verb expresses the idea of taking a load off something or someone and transferring it to something or someone. So as Peter uses it here in his letter, the idea of casting our anxieties on God means that we take the burdens that arise due to the hardships and struggles in our lives and we transfer them to God and let him carry them so that we no longer have to. In essence, those anxieties become God's responsibility rather than ours. And guess what? If we do that effectively and consistently, then we no longer need to worry about those things, do we? We no longer need to worry. The fact is that God did not design us to carry the burden of worry. Fret and anxiety and those things are simply too much for us to bear physically and emotionally. We are learning more and more about how this kind of pressure and stress impacts our physical and emotional health. Some of you can attest to this. When you are under a heavy load of stress, what does it do to you physically? It wears you down, doesn't it? It makes you unable to do the things that you would normally be able to do. And it's funny because it's just a thought in our head. It's a feeling. But the damage that it can do is sometimes irreparable. I think this is where the fishing analogy can actually be helpful. I like to fish. Do you like to fish? I like to fish. Especially in streams, up in the mountains. I don't get to go very often. But when I do, I enjoy myself thoroughly. I really do. But there are several different methods that can be used to accomplish that, to fish. Some people fish with bait like worms. Those who do that cast their bait into the right spot and leave it there for the fish to find. I prefer to fish with the lure. That requires me to cast out that lure and then immediately reel it back so that hopefully it will look like something that the fish really likes to eat. Give it a little you know, jerk here and there and kind of entice that fish to take it. And that's a pretty good picture of the two different ways we can cast our anxieties on God. We can do that like I like to fish, constantly casting our cares on God only to keep reeling them back in and then casting them back out and then reeling them back in. But if we keep taking back our anxieties like that, we're going to worry rather than worship. On the other hand, if I just cast my cares on God and leave them there, 
and even better, cut the line, then I leave those burdens with God and I don't have to worry about them. And when I do that with my anxieties, then I am humbling myself under God's mighty hand. Peter has already written about the concept of humbling oneself under the mighty hand of God um, several times in his letter. He, well, let's look at it briefly, just at a couple of them. 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In essence, Jesus humbled himself under God's mighty hand by entrusting his anxiety to his Father. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We did that last week. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Peter encouraged those who are suffering to entrust their entire lives to God. Which is really just another way of saying that we are to let God carry the load. Let God worry about it. Because the saying says, we can triumph. We can triumph in our trials if we replace our worry with worship. And that begins when we take our burdens and anxieties off of ourselves and place them onto God and let him carry them. My guess is that most of us would like to live our lives like that. But we don't do that as consistently as we'd like. If we're honest, we'd have to admit that we have a tendency to keep reeling in those anxieties and worrying about them rather than leaving them with God. That was also true of Peter's audience. And so he shares three things that we need to remember in order to replace our worry with worship by letting God carry the load. We need to remember how much God loves us. We have to remember how much God loves us. In verse 7, Peter gives us the reason that we are to let God carry our load because he cares for us. That's why. The idea of God caring for us is seen throughout this passage. In verse 2, we see that we are a part of God's flock under the care of the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. The picture of a shepherd and his sheep is used frequently in the Bible to show the way that a good shepherd loves and cares for his sheep. In verse 10, we see as we've been frequently in Peter's letter here that God is a God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Once again, we see it here that God has called us to be his children regardless of the fact that we have done absolutely nothing to deserve it. We have done absolutely nothing to deserve it. God loves us even though we are unlovable. And not only that, he has called us. He has also promised that he will make sure we receive the inheritance that he has prepared for us. I think one of the reasons we worry about things is because when we get in the midst of our trials, there is a tendency for us to think that perhaps God doesn't love us anymore and that we are just 
you know, undergoing those trials, but maybe it's just our adversary, the devil, who is prowling around like that roaring lion, seeking to get us and to think wrongly about God's love for us. And you'd be right. It's the same tactic he used in the garden when Eve tried to get, you know, he tried to get her to think that God was withholding something from her. And he didn't really love her. And by the way, I think Peter's imagery of the devil being like a roaring lion was no doubt influenced by the Christians who were being fed to the lions in the public arena by Nero in order to try and scare Christians away from their faith. But for the genuine disciple of Christ, trials are never, let me repeat that again, they are never an indication that God no longer loves us. In fact, those trials are often just the opposite. They are actually evidence of just how much God really does love us. And there are two reasons that God allows trials in the lives of his children. The first one, as we have seen throughout Peter's letter, is that he uses those trials to prove the genuineness of our faith. When our faith is proven to be genuine by the way we handle trials, those trials serve both to encourage us and to bear witness to others who are not yet part of God's kingdom. Those are the purposes. The other possible reason for trials in the life of a disciple of Christ is described in Hebrews chapter 12. Pastor Martin's there now. He's only been there, what, two years now? Roughly. So you should know. It's there in Hebrews 12. There we find that God sometimes uses trials to discipline us as a loving father. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. We can worry because we don't remember how much God loves us, but when we can also worry because deep down inside, we really don't believe that God is capable of bringing us through those trials and bringing good out of those trials. In other words, we don't believe God is sovereign. When we worry, we tell God we don't trust you. When we worry, we say, God, you are not able to handle this. When we worry, we put too, we put too much stock in ourselves. We really do. But once again, this passage is filled with descriptions of the sovereignty of God. We see that in verse 6, we are commanded to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And that idea has and is expanded upon by Peter when he points out that at the proper time, God will exalt those who worship rather than worry. It is not that God is not powerful enough to keep us or remove us from our trials. It is just that in his sovereign wisdom, he is waiting for the exact right time to exalt and vindicate those who remain faithful to him. The sovereignty of God is probably best seen, though, in verse 10. Look there now. 
There we learn that we will be a day when the God of all grace will step in and restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish his children. In other words, there is going to be a day when God will make everything right. When good will be rewarded and evil will be punished. As Peter points out in that verse, even in our suffering encompasses much of our life here on earth. It is really only a little while compared to eternity. So when we worry, it means that I'm trusting in myself more than I am trusting in God. If I remember how much God loves me and that he is sovereign, then the only logical response is to let him carry that load. And that's worship. That's worship. I and you are not alone. We are not alone. And this is why verses 1 through 5 come in. At first, Peter's instructions to the church leaders and members seem to be a bit out of place in a letter that is dealing with how to triumph in the midst of those trials that we are a part of. And he also brings this up because he wants to address the faith of his readers. But I think what Peter is trying to do here is to remind these Christians that they are not alone as they go through difficult times. Understand that. When you go through difficult times, you are not alone. Not only is God with them, as we have seen repeatedly in this letter, but they also have their brothers and sisters in Christ alongside them during those difficult times. And as our culture increasingly turns hostile to Christianity, there is often a tendency for those pressures from the outside to get Christians to turn against each other. That's, that's the world's goal. Discredit everything that God has said. To discredit everything God has done and will do. That's their goal. That is why Peter commands everyone in the church to clothe themselves with humility towards one another. The verb clothe is a unique word that referred to putting on an apron, which a servant would put on doing his or her tasks. I'm pretty sure Peter had in mind what Jesus had done in the upper room the night before his crucifixion when he girded himself and took up the towel to wash the disciples' feet. A properly functioning church in which the leaders lead with the heart of a shepherd and the people follow godly leadership, serves to protect and encourage Christians when persecution arises. We cannot do this alone. We need each other. We need each other. So we must act accordingly. We must act accordingly. It is also important to note that the command to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God uses plural verbs and pronouns. So while that is certainly something each of us need to do as individuals, there is also a sense in which it is to be done within the community of believers that comprise the body of Christ. 
We need each other. We do. And unfortunately, because of our pride, we're often ashamed to share our problems with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what I'm talking about, especially when we have our welcome time. How are you doing today? Fine. Okay. And you know you're not fine. You know you're not okay. Ask for help. God says to rely on one another. God says to rely on him. We need to unburden ourselves to him. But when we hang on to those things like that, it only increases our tendency to worship rather than worry. And as we've seen this morning, that requires us to let God carry our load and we remember how much he loves us and that he is sovereign and that he has not left us alone. Let's commit to living our lives like that. Knowing that we are going to constantly face trials that are going to tempt us to worry rather than worship. And as we close, let me help you make this really practical. Let me lay this out. First, I've given you some space on your outline this morning. And I want you to make a list of things that you worry about. List the things that you worry about. So you take some time this week and honestly list those things that you worry about. Secondly, once you have that list, spend some time in prayer, releasing those things to God. Commit to letting him bear that burden. Paul writes about the importance of praying about the things that we tend to worry about. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Thirdly, thank God that he loves you and that he is sovereign. Share your list with another believer and ask him or her to pray for you. Once you do that, you'll be free to worship rather than to worry, no matter what trials you might face. The devil is the ultimate reason why there is so much suffering in this world. He is the number one enemy of believers in Christ Jesus. And so we have to resist him. We have to resist him. We must be determined to resist the devil. As Peter said in verse 8, be sober and vigilant. Be self-controlled and alert. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. Be on the alert, Peter says. In John 10.10, Jesus said that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter tells us that our enemy is like a lion. Lions are huge and powerful, up to 500 pounds sometimes, and nine feet long. Years ago, I went on a field trip up to the mountains here. I don't know if you've been there, but they have a wildcat habitat. 
And it's in the hills not too far away from here. But out in the parking lot, they had a bobcat in a cage sitting in the parking lot. And I was a little bit younger at the time. And I thought, oh, it would be really neat to go over there and check out this bobcat. And it looked really cute, small, you know. I thought, oh, yeah, we should go over there and check it out, as inquisitive minds always do. And so we're walking across the parking lot. And then, again, we're looking at it. We're like, oh, it's pretty cute, you know. It's only about three times bigger than a cat. We walked over to that cage, and when we got about three feet away, it was like a bomb went off. That cute little cat turned into a raging monster, shaking that cage, trying to get out to get at us. It was like a tornado in that cage. It was mean, vicious, and it was certainly wild. I wasn't about to stick my finger in there and say, Here, kitty, kitty. (laughs) But a lion is 20 times bigger than a bobcat. And the devil is a trillion times more dangerous and destructive. So we have to be on the alert because we have a destructive enemy. And because we are in a dangerous place. We're commissioned here to be on earth. But this is not our home. This is the devil's playground. And we have to navigate through it. But God says we can go ahead and sit in that emergency room and worship rather than worry. We could go to that job interview and worship rather than worry. We can go and take that test and worship rather than worry. In that case, your worship will probably be enhanced by studying. Stare at your bank statement and worship rather than worry. Listen to the doctor's diagnosis and worship rather than worry. Watch the news and worship rather than worry. Because God says, go ahead and triumph in your trials by replacing that worry with worship. Amen? Dave, come and lead us in benediction this morning. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. Let's stand together, and as long long as we're in this world, every day, let's lift this up to Him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time here together. I pray as we leave this building, we are vigilant and we are mindful of the things that you placed before us. Thank you for the opportunities 
to love one another, to worship with one another. And Lord, as you've commanded us to do, replace that worry with worship. Let us worship you in all the things that we say and do. And let it be honoring to you because you deserve it, Lord. Again, thank you again for our time. Bring us back safely this evening and this afternoon for the various activities. Those who are not involved in activities, I pray that you get involved. Find a place where you can worship. Find a place where you can serve. Find a place where you belong, and that's right here with us. We thank you so much, Lord, for your love and your blessings. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.